Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Trip Mitchell and that is veteran newsman Randall Carlisle. Hello, good to see you again. I love doing these. You know, and, and again, every week I mention to you that we've given you a clothing allowance. And, and what do I have ooh. on? <laughs> exactly. Were you over at the dollar store getting new wardrobe? I was spending it on alcohol. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, we joke about that because Tripp and I are both uh, alcoholics in recovery. So. And we have both had, uh, you were much more responsible. You never went on TV having a beer or two. No, I did not. You know, I always tell people when I say I was a functional alcoholic, I meant that. You know, and people say, were you drunk when I was watching you on TV? And I go, no. I got drunk at night and I slept a good good night's sleep, Went to, didn't drink in the morning, went to work sober, and then got drunk again the next night. So I was always sober on TV, just in case you're wondering. So. And I was not. <laughs> I yeah. probably had a little more fun than <laughs> <Right>. you did. <laughs> but sobriety is one of those things when you talk to people who drink a little too much. And we, as alcoholics, are jealous of those people who can have one beer and put it down, and that is their evening. And yes, we call them normal drinkers. And we all, and alcoholics, all want to be normal drinkers, but they're not. That's yeah, for that. whatever reason, it is disease that. The majority of people right. in the medical community, and we're going to get to meet Riley in just a second. But it's an important point in that when you do have that gene, be it drugs or alcohol, you do not have that ability to do anything in moderation. You can't say no. And as long as you don't, conversely, as long as you don't pick up that first drink, you don't have to. My last, no. my last relapse six and a half years ago, so my idiotic brain told me, you can probably have a beer or two, and then it was off to the races. And I promised myself all I would have is a beer or two. Do you remember making that conscious decision after the first one to keep going? I remember my brain saying, well, one was okay. You're not really screwed up. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And, and one of the analogies I make, and, and Riley, I don't know if this is appropriate to you, but when you're in a bar and you're playing pool, you have a beer or two, and all of a sudden you think you're a much better player. Yeah, exactly. And, and many people will swear to that, that a little alcohol helps them, and it makes you more lively, lowers your inhibitions. Sure. But two to six is not good, and six to ten is really bad. Well, I, I think that my last relapse, it would probably be ten to fifteen. So Let's talk about a news story real quick, and... and the governor just signed a, a notice to take three two beer up to four oh four point five. How would that? Do you wouldn't think have affected me in the least. I, it, towards the end, before I got sober for the last time, about six and a half seven years ago, I blacked out every single time I drank three two beer after two or three beers. I know it was incredible. Conversely, so, most alcoholics increase their. I know. Their ability to consume. So I don't think the increase to 4% makes that much difference to alcoholics or non-alcoholics. So That's interesting. I want to introduce my buddy Riley Drage here. And and I should point out, even though we call this Odyssey House Journals, the whole point of the show is not to talk about Odyssey House necessarily, but to talk about the whole recovery movement and the whole issue of addiction and, and recovery. And Riley is from... Okay, how do you, do you say Usera or Usara? Because I've heard big, it both ways. That's big, big question. Um, people say it both ways. 
and my executive director says both of them are fine. So, and I and at first I would catch myself all the time, and I would say one or the other, and I was like, oh, I said it wrong. But it's either way, so it's fine. When I interviewed her for some news stories when I was still on TV, she said, you Sarah. Yep. So I say you Sarah, and lots of people say you Sarah. Yep. And it stands for? Utah Support Advocates for Recovery Awareness. Okay. And and the reason I have Riley here, he, he he's in recovery as well. Maybe you can give us a brief your background story before um, we get into we could, what you do at you, Sarah. We could do the brief, brief story. Um, 20 second sound bite. This is TV. Perfect. Here we go. So um, I started snowboarding very active at a young age. I was prescribed a lot of opiates younger for being injured so much. Then I thought it was a good idea to do drug studies to make money with friends. Um, got out of some drug studies and didn't feel so good. Didn't know that I was withdrawing. Um, then from there, it just progressed and progressed. Uh, about eight years ago, I overdosed and I was on life support for five days. And I left the hospital and went straight back to it for years. Um, it took an array of things for me to figure out that it had gone a little too far. Um, I would say the number one being homeless in Seattle, finding a treatment program. And then when I got into that treatment program that was free, it was the Salvation Army. Uh, my girlfriend of six years passed away. She had gone to treatment, got out after 30 days, relapsed and died. And at that point, um, I was absolutely finished. So, wow. yeah. How and long then, ago was that? Um, she has been gone now for four years. So, yeah. So you've got some sobriety under your belt. A little bit, yes. When I was starting, I thought 30 days I had been in it for a long time. But now, now I've been in it for a while and I still think I... Uh, I'm in the beginning stages. So, I so just, before we get to your program, yeah. opioids have been in the news a lot lately. Definitely. When you do have an injury, it's got to be difficult from the physician standpoint to know the proper amount to alleviate pain, but not too much to get you addicted. Definitely. Do you have a feel on that or an experience? Um, yes and no. I, me personally, with uh, pain pills and prescriptions, um, after I had started my actual addiction, it was just finding that doctor that I knew I could go to to get prescribed as much as possible and pay cash for it. Um, but as far as now, I would say in the hospitals, all of the hospitals that I go into, in the elevators, on the tables, in the lunchroom, wherever it's at, there's lots and lots of signs everywhere about opiates, the dangers of it. Do I need opiates? Is there anything else that I can take? If I do have to take opiates, um, is there going to be a taper? What do I need to do to be safe while I'm taking opiates? So I would say now um, it's getting much, much better than it was. Um, but I, I still think there's a way to go. Jennifer Plum, who uh, heads up Utah Naloxone, who's responsible for getting naloxone kits to everyone. She's a, a, a pediatrician in the emergency room at Primary Children's. And I interviewed her once, and she said, interestingly... There are many European countries that don't prescribe opioids at all, even when you're coming out of major surgery, and, and they use Advil and ibuprofen, and aspirin, Tylenol for the severe pain that you're in. And that stuff doesn't work. <clears throat> well, you say that it does. It does. <laughs> it does the pain, but it doesn't do it with the same addictive properties that exactly. an opioid does. Hmm. Uh, and, and she said, 
you know, her, her comment was, we're, we're as strong as Europeans are, so why couldn't we be doing that here? Uh, and she'd be in favor, you know, of, of perhaps just eliminating the use of them altogether. I don't know how you... I don't know how that would work in the U.S., but I think if that was a possible thing, um, it would be amazing. Couldn't but, we develop a non-addictive painkiller, or is that just counterintuitive? Um, I, if, I don't know if they can do that. I do. One of the things that I struggle with all the time when I, when I think about this kind of thing is my ex-girlfriend, she was in chronic pain. She had pain daily that was very, very severe. That's why she was prescribed so many different pain pills and everything. So I do think there are people that are out there that do need maybe opiates but there needs to be stricter guidelines maybe um I'm, i don't know i i always go back to it you know i just i don't know what to say i mean if there was no opiates it would be great you know if there was no addiction to opiates um the world would be much happier that's for sure and don't don't you think that the pharmaceutical companies are working to find something that will alleviate pain without addicting a person. I mean, yeah, that, they, would, that would be like a magic pill. Yes, that know. would be a magic bullet. Definitely. And I could have given you some advice early on and indicate don't be a snowboarder. Yeah, be a, <laughs> be a skier. But then you break both legs instead of just one. Ah, okay, there. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> and you know, snowboarders are wonderful people until they run into me. Oof. On two skis. Yes, <laughs> I agree with you, but yeah. we're old-timers and he's not. Yeah, it's a youth base. So tell me about this organization that you're he, working the reason I The reason I ask Riley to be part of this is, well, maybe you should say what Usara Usara does, does first, and then we'll get into the Arches program. Okay, so we are a nonprofit community organization. Um, we get state and federal grants to run everything, so everything that we do at Usara or Usara is free. <laughs> Um, everything. So we do peer coaching is the main thing. That's the number one thing we do. Um, come in, a peer coach is just a peer to somebody else. So when I go into hospitals, the reason why people will talk to me more than the nurses or the doctors or the crisis worker is because I go in as their peer. I'm, I'm just like them. I'm just somebody that's in recovery right now and I've been where they're at. So they will open up a lot quicker to us. Um, a lot of the time they won't tell the doctors anything. And then once we go in there and we'll give them a short, like a brief where we came from, um, we've been through the same kind of deal and the floodgates will open. But as far as you saw, we have different programs there. Um, peer coaching, we have meetings every day, all types of different meetings for people to kind of figure out maybe a direction or a path that they want to start with their recovery. Um, yeah, social activities, social people activities, in recovery. That's definitely. so critical because so many people I know, myself included, mm -hmm. it's like, well, I, where do I go to have fun if I'm going to stay sober? I can't. I don't want to go to a bar. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And and you, Sarah, offers uh, a lot of great social all, activities. All Friday night movies. And, yeah, definitely. Family fun night is Friday nights, so people can bring their kids in. We do free movie and a pizza. Um, or if you don't have kids, you can go there just to interact with people that are sober, um, get sober support, friends. And that, that was huge for me also is to find that, um, that sober piece, the sober people in my life. When I came back from treatment in Seattle, I, I had two people <laughs> and, uh, and they were both in AA. So I just dove in with them. 
um, and it completely saved me. And I was terrified to come back here because I didn't, I didn't have those sober people. So I, I thought I was coming back and I was going to try and stay sober and just clench my fists and just go for it. But I, I completely lucked out. So. You, Sarah is, I guess if I had to describe it, it it's like an all-encompassing group that has no uh, allegiance to like Odyssey House or First Step or I mean any of the other treatment programs. And so... Like if somebody gets is, is gets out of Odyssey House and wants a, a peer coach, they can go to Usera or getting out of any other treatment center or not getting out of a treatment center. And so there's sort of this mm-hmm. this all encompassing, really good group that isn't aligned with anyone, which is really cool. Definitely, I would say one of <clears throat> one of the really big things to me also is we believe in all pathways to recovery. So whatever recovery looks like to you, whatever your recovery is will support you in it whether that's mat so medication assisted treatment um aa na any of the a's um anything under the sun i mean there's people definitely that were addicted to opiates or heroin and they'll have a beer on the weekend and if that's their recovery and they can move forward with that in a positive way more power to you so any any walk of life any pathway that you choose um, harm reduction is a huge thing. Um, so basically just the, just the whole, the whole gamut. Harm reduction. Um, I would say harm reduction could be a lot of things. We work with, um, one voice recovery. They do needle exchange and disease prevention. So they do hep C testing and HIV testing for free. And then if you do come up positive for one of those, they'll connect you with the right resources to get on the right medications. Um, they also do their needle exchange or syringe exchange. Um, they'll actually go to the people out in the community. So they don't have to go somewhere where everybody's trying to get clean syringes and, and just run into everyone, you know, or feel like people are watching me because I'm here or whatever. Um, so you, it, it's amazing. You have an interesting perspective because you're, to put it in a political, you're non-political. Yeah. You're non-judgmental. Non-judgmental. That's what's what, so every, great about the organization. Yeah, every group out there, regardless who they are, that's trying to help people, you want to help. Definitely. Yeah. That's a nice position to be in. It, it's absolutely amazing. My job right now is actually, it, it's my dream job, absolutely. This is, and this is what I, what I think is such a cool program. It's the first kind of its kind in, in Utah, and they call it Arches. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can... Uh, uh, Go ahead and describe it. It's So um, what we're doing really started on the East Coast, and I'm sure maybe in Europe it seems like that. A lot of things start over there before it gets to the U.S. Um, I know that it started definitely on the East, Co- East Coast for the U.S. And ARCHES stands for Addiction Recovery Coaching in Healthcare and Emergency Settings. Quick kind test. Of- What's ARCHES stand for? ARCHES. Ah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it's always a mouthful with, yeah. with all those. Um, so what we do is, it, it. I wonder how I could start this the best way. Actually, what I'll say first is this started um, from my old boss at a lunch table for months just doing research to see how they were doing it on the East Coast because it was helping so many people out there. One, peer coaching, and two, getting into hospitals to be peers with people so they didn't feel... Um, like they were down here and the doctors were up here. How do you find the, talk to the people in the hospitals? Um, so how it works is either a crisis worker will call us or a social worker will call us. When somebody goes into the hospital or is taken to the hospital from an overdose, 
or they're at high risk from overdose from opiates. So they'll call us, um, they have to get consent from the patient that they want to talk to us, and then we'll go in there and just and just open it up, you know. We'll and these guys are and trained and licensed, to, and, and so they have arrangements with all the area hospitals yep. to do that, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, up till, up till now, they probably would have gotten a hospital social worker at best. Yeah. With somebody coming in like that, and so you guys do what when you get into the? Uh, we'll go. I'm, in there. I'm lying there and I'm coming out of an overdose. What do you? And I I consent to talk to you. What do you What do you talk about? I'll probably just walk in and and ask them kind of what's going on. It's it's really it's really casual when we go in to talk with somebody. Again, um, I'm just a peer. I'm just I'm just them. You know, I'm just on the other side of the bed for now. You know, and hopefully for the rest of my life. But just go in and and kind of ask them what's going on. Tell them that we're from USARA. This is what we do. Um, give them maybe a brief history about myself and where I have been and where I'm at now to give them a little hope. And then just ask them straight up, what do you want to do? You know, what is it that you would like to do when they discharge you from here? And a lot of people don't don't want to do anything different. You know, they overdose. They're having a great time with their friends, and and that's the life they, they want made to live mistake. now. Yeah, and, and you know, the thing about Ysera is is sweet. Here's here's some information for syringe exchange, here's disease prevention, here's MAT groups, or here's an MAT place that you can go to. Or if you want to go into detox, we'll work with different detoxes. I also work at VOA Detox, so that kind of works out well. Um, so anything, basically anything under the sun that they're looking for. Do the majority we'll, of people we'll that you talk to in the hospital mm-hmm. Do they want to make a change? You know, I would probably say 70% of people, yeah. And then the rest of them are kind of on the fence. Um, we work with a lot of people, obviously, that are homeless. Um, so they'll go in there and they, they just need somewhere to stay or they're looking for just anything, you know. They're looking for a resource for housing or for a detox facility or how to get into the road home or whatever it is um it's it's really anything under the sun that that people will will want or need and so we carry we carry these big books with us and we have tons of information um so if i if i tell you i i'm happy being an addict right now mm-hmm. i don't get any judgment from you no definitely not no Mm-mm. no and i would invite them to come into usara um, we're actually going to be starting um an MAT group, so it's all forms of recovery um, in two weeks. So that's going to be a really good meeting. I don't know of any places that really do that kind of meeting. So I think that's going to be a big one for people that are on method, anything really, you know, any anything that, that they think that they would be included. Because a lot of those people feel like, that I've talked to personally, they feel like if they go to AA and they're on methadone or they go to AA or NA or whatever it is and they're on Suboxone, that they're not really included in that and, and people don't think that they're they're clean or they're sober. And to me, that kind of stuff is just like anything. Um, somebody has depression, you take your depression meds. If somebody has severe anxiety or something, you're taking medications for, for your anxiety. Um, and, and it's best practice, really, as far as opiates go these days. Um, Suboxone is really going to help you. And you can either taper it down 
or I mean you can stay on it for a long time I have friends that have been on Suboxone for years and that's just what they do and they function in life and they take care of their families and they go to work and they can do their thing um, so more power to them you know and then there's also a lot of people that will do like methadone and, and taper down and then do Suboxone for a little while and taper off and then they'll go and get Vivitrol and I have friends that have been on Vivitrol for years and years and right. years and and they'll probably do it for the next 10 years if not the rest of their life and that's just that's what they do personally they know when they have those bad days and and they think about maybe heroin or pills or whatever it is that i got my shot it lasts 30 days so now i can't go get high so now what can i do to get past this and in the alcoholic community they had a drug called anabuse that was pretty prominent for a while and Mm -hmm. you don't hear of it much one of the challenges I find in the AA community in Salt Lake is you've got maybe some old timers who are pretty judgmental yep. and feel that any AA is not for anyone unless you're a tried and true alcoholic. Any drug issues, you, you don't belong here. Yep. And I find that frustrating. Yeah, that's pretty frustrating, but you got to make it your own, you know? I'm not, that's actually happened to me here when I came back when I started getting into AA and and for me I know for some people it definitely will affect them and that will push them out of AA immediately but for me I knew that I used to have a couple drinks and I drank way too much when I would have those couple drinks so I was just I was a part of that crowd even though my drug of choice was heroin and pills and that's what I overdosed on um I, I knew that it would help me to be there and there were the certain people that were in my AA meetings that I would go to that would support me and help me so I, I just kind of blew it off you know and I would give that advice to anyone for sure. I had the same experience I when I used I was so determined not to drink the last time I got sober and apparently it worked I, I used antabuse mm-hmm. and I also used naltrexone which is daily pills of, of what a Vivitrol shot is now it's and, and it it prevents you from getting high if you drink or you use opiates. Really? Yeah, and mm. it's it's a non it's it's not a an addictive substance, uh, and so I did both, figuring, and it was sort of a double-edged sword. You figure if I drank, I'd puke my guts out because I was on antabuse, <laughs> yeah. and, and and I couldn't get high anyway because I was doing naltrexone. Uh, so it's like, well, why drink, right? <laughs> and and I did that for about eight months, and what it did for me. What I always, when I was, when I was in active alcoholism, it, regardless of what was going wrong in my life, my first step was to take a drink to help numb myself, and that pushed it to the back of my mind because I knew, first of all, I couldn't get high, I couldn't numb myself, and I and I'd get sick as hell, and and I did that for about eight months, and and what it did is during those eight months when I'd run into the same situations that used that I used to drink over I I just would think of I'd do something else because I knew I couldn't drink but my point of bringing that up was I I said that a couple of times in an AA meeting and I got a ton of criticism from people saying you don't that's a crutch you you just need the 12 steps and that'll work for you and I and I and I have a pretty thick skin because of my job in TV and it was sort of like Screw you. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's working for me, and that's what's important to me. And and so I kept going. To, I didn't use that as an excuse not to go to AA meetings because those are the old-timers that you were talking about. Sure, and they their judgmental nature does not <clears throat> seem to me to be a kinder, gentler way. And, and, you know, all any group tries to do, 
is just try to help. And your point about whatever it takes to get through that next day without drinking or drugging, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of a no-brainer. Go for it. Yeah. Definitely go for it. You've probably seen some amazing success stories in the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would say from this job, I've been there about a year and three, five months or something right in there. But from VOA Detox, I worked there and I was... uh, it was called the JDP driver, so the jail diversion program. So the cops would go pick people up that were intoxicated and they would give them an option. You can go to jail or you can go to detox and try and get clean or sober. Um, so if they did pick detox, which 90% of the time, they're not, they don't want to go to jail. You know, They can go to detox and then they can leave the next day. Um, they would want to go to detox, so I'd go pick them up. And there are a lot of people that they don't even remember that I picked them up their first time going to VOA (laughs) and they will go back to VOA just to ring the bell every once in a while and they are doing really good, you know, job, wife, kids, the whole deal. And they started literally from the very bottom. So there's been, there's been a lot of those for sure. And then there's been a lot that haven't made it also. Um, So you get both sides of that for sure. You've been to a few funerals. I've been to a lot of funerals, yeah. I've had a lot of close friends die, um, family member, uh, my ex-girlfriend. So there's been a lot, yeah. You know, one of the biggest things they try to prevent, it, there's an argument that perhaps people who are in addiction to opiates should be getting, when he said MAT, it's medication-assisted treatment, and it includes uh, Suboxone or, or Methadone or Vivitrol, uh, and there's an argument that when people are in jail, that they should, and, and there's a program at Salt Lake County Jail where, the, where they will give the inmates Vivitrol because it's not an opiate, but there's an argument that perhaps they should be getting Suboxone or Methadone because when they get, they're obviously clean, or they should be clean while they're in jail, and if they haven't, if they haven't used for a, a period of time, their tolerance has gone down, and they'll get out of jail and, and buy the same amount of heroin that they were using before and die. Yeah. You know. hmm. And that happens a lot, definitely. I think if they could put it in place that anybody that was using any opiates, synthetic opiates, um, that at least they could sign up to get Vivitrol when they're leaving. And I know they do that in a couple different states. I know they do that up in Seattle. And if that was here, it would, it would save a lot of lives for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of alternatives, but each of those is controversial to the general public. And, and it was even, when, I, when I, I go to the Needle Syringe Exchange Network meeting every month, and, and when I first heard about harm reduction, being an alcoholic, I guess I was sort of jealous because you can do like Suboxone and, 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 and lead a normal life, and it is feeding your need for an opiate in your body, and you're not screwed up like, like I was stumbling out of a bar or something. So, and you can lead a normal life. But for an alcoholic, you can't say, okay, you can, use, you can have this shot in the morning and yeah. shot in the afternoon, and, and then you can function like a normal person because I'd want 10 more shots. <laughs> and so, but it works for people addicted to opiates. Uh, and, and, and the whole philosophy is, okay, we're going to have a certain number of people who are addicted to a substance like that, would we rather have them die or would we rather have them lead semi-productive or very productive lives? And, and that makes a lot of sense. But the general public has a hard time accepting that you say, 
okay, we're going to just but sort of accept these people. Attitudes you know. are changing. We're in a religiously religious conservative state. No getting around it. Yeah. Do you find that people are becoming more conscious of alcohol and drug addiction and how that affects a would, lot of people? I would say definitely. I don't know if you're going to keep going with that question. Is there a number two? Is there? Is there no, no. Well, I, I <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I would definitely say there's there's no way you can ignore it anymore. There's so I would say every single person I know has a family member or a friend that has substance use disorder. And it's interesting. Every to, single person. To use an analogy from 50 years ago, the Vietnam War during the 60s was raging on, but not a big sensibility about it except mm-hmm. for young people but then all of a sudden when the deaths mounted close to 50,000 everyone knew someone who knew someone yep. who died there and that that's when things changed in the state of Utah with a predominantly conservative culture maybe many people involved in the church didn't know anyone but that's changing yeah definitely radically radically definitely do you feel like the government has done enough to support groups like yours um you know, I think there could be a lot more out there. Our executive director is very good at getting grants for us. She is absolutely fantastic at it. She's probably the best ever. Um, so We'd like to hire her. Yeah, <laughs> yes. It works out very well for USADA. Are those grants um, local, federal? Um, both. Yeah. So they come from far and wide. To private, governmental, yeah. whatever. Everywhere possible and, to bring and, in money for everyone, and she organized. She lobbies. She lobbies very hard up yes. at the legislature for programs that will help people, not just you, you Sarah, whatever. <laughs> uh, I, I hate that. <laughs> Me too. I, uh, but uh, she organizes like the uh, the rally uh, that was up in the Capitol. That's that's Usara does that, and and the and the recovery rally down on uh, Gallivan Center every. When fall, summer, yep, every fall, every fall, mm-hmm. and thousands of people come, and, and Usara is the one behind all that. So, you know, they're just—it's a good group, but they—but she is very good at getting yeah, she is grant money. Very, very good, and she's done really well with picking out um, the different people for different teams there. I would say between all of us, just at this location, there's probably there's somebody that's been through something that everybody's been through. So if you're looking for a peer coach, you're gonna be able to go there. And and I always think of it when I meet someone in the hospital because we're meeting with so many people daily, weekly. Um, we can't do long-term coaching, so we will give a warm handoff to somebody else that works at USARA in a different group. But you kind of just judge who they are, their character, who they would get along with, who would be a good coach for them to have. And then there's so many different personalities, so many different walks of life. As far as peer coaches go at USARA, there's going to be somebody that anybody's going to connect to. So, How many people will you see a week in the hospital on a typical week? It really is the old roller coaster. Um, it, it depends week to week. I think um, last week the person that was on call probably saw 16 people after five o'clock, so the night shift, because we're on call 24 hours, I, I should probably bring that up here too. Um, but anywhere from, it could be as low as like two people in a week, which would be ridiculously slow to maybe 30 people. So it's it's kind of a nonstop thing. Um, and I think one of the main things that helped us with the hospitals is hospitals don't stop, police don't stop, fire department doesn't stop. 
So we have an on-call line for them to call us. So we each take a week at a time and we have somebody on call 24 hours a day. So this is my week. So as soon as we leave the office at 5.30 till the next morning at nine, I'm on call. So we can get calls at three in the morning, two in the morning, six in the morning, which happens all the time. And we'll, we'll deploy out to the hospitals and we try and get there usually 30 to 60 minutes. So, Wow. What if I say, if, if I'm in there and I say, I, I do want to get clean, what, what do you suggest? What do you say then? Um, I would ask them maybe what kind of path they want to take. If they wanted to do inpatient, outpatient, if they need to go to detox, if they just want to do it through groups, whatever groups they may want. And if they don't know much about it, just try and educate them on it. For some people, this is the first, you're the first person that they've talked to about potential recovery. Yeah, definitely. So you might have to educate someone from ground zero. Open the doors completely, yeah. So you've really... Anything you're looking for. You you, know? You've changed a lot of lives. I tried to, yeah. There were a lot of people that, uh, that really helped me that had no clue who I was along my journey. Um, so I just want to do the same, yeah. Anything we haven't brought up about your organization that you'd like to? Um, it's probably the most amazing place that I've ever worked. You know, I would say Volunteers of America is equally. Um, they do amazing things. But as far as USERA goes, um, there's no place that's like it. Everybody's accepted there. Um, How many staff do you have there? Um, at the Salt Lake office, we probably have around 20 and then we have one in St. George where there's three people down there and then we have people in Moab and Price and then we're opening another office in Ogden and two people will be working up there. Um, so there's, there's a whole slew of us throughout Utah. So some of these places like Price, Prices, I think the, I think it's the capital right now of Utah in terms of opioid overdose deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got a lot of unemployed people down there. Miners. A, yeah. a lot of people cooking meth, using meth. Heroin is really big down there, uh, and so thank thank God Usara has gone has gone down there because there's no. I, I mean, if you picture yourself, I mean. And you can sit out there and judge all you want and say, oh, well, you decided to take the drugs and you're going through the overdose. But the point is, let's say you're lying in a hospital room and what am I going to do next? Thank God for people showing up like that who you can relate to. I mean, because when you do in that situation, I know, speaking for myself, the paranoia you feel when you wake up that next morning. Oh, yeah. No one's there to help. Yeah. They're all judging me. What do I do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there are a lot of questions. Yeah, like it, it's kind of for me, I think the main reason why I really took this job, um, my old boss from VOA called me when I actually was coming back from Montana. I was building ski lifts out there because I just wanted to make a bunch of money. And so I went out there, but I was driving back and she's like, I have the perfect job for you. We're going to be going into hospitals when people overdose or they're at higher risk for overdose from opiates. Like, do you want to join the team? And I was like, this is right up my alley. Because when I did get off of life support, um, there was a social worker that came and talked to me. And the only question that she asked me was, did you try and kill yourself? And I said, absolutely not. You know, I'm having a great time with my friends. I was at a party. Just did too much, you know. And that, and that was the only thing that was asked of me, or the only question. Um, so there was no, like, referrals or anything in that particular hospital and that was years and years ago 
So I, there wasn't anything like, do you need help? Um, do you want to go to treatment? There was none of that. So when I got the offer to come and do this, it was just perfect for me. I was like, now I can go and try and give the resources that I wasn't given when I woke up from my overdose. So it worked out well. And I didn't know how it was going to go, you know, because there's a lot of emotions when you go into a hospital room or into the ICU. Um, and the first time I actually went out on a deployment, um, it was an overdose and she had just barely woke up. They probably called us a little too early. She was still really out of it. And walking into that room, I was literally shaking. I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to react or if I was going to start crying, if it was going to bring me back to when I was there. But went there, talked to her, and it was life-changing. So it, it worked out really well, and I felt really good when I left that room. But I was really nervous the first time I went in there. Oh, so I can you, imagine. If yeah. you would have told the social worker that he was sort of trying to kill himself, there would have been an involuntary commitment to the psych ward. Definitely. Hmm. Uh, for, hmm. what, 72 hours or 50? Uh, yeah, I think that if you get pink-sheeted, it's 72 hours, yeah. I believe. So that's why there's a need for what well, they're doing well it sounds like you first of all you have a great job thank you and I agree. <laughs> people that you interact with just in knowing you for 45 minutes are lucky to have someone like you thank you and uh you know when you do this is a pretty good booking you've done good here i i know i have <laughs> i you know I, I i as a matter of fact we were talking about harm reduction and in a couple of weeks depending on when the podcast airs I've got two people from the state health department who are coming in to talk about the whole concept of syringe exchange and and, and just harm reduction in general. So you know, you perfect. maybe should think about getting into television. Yeah, you well, have a knack for this thing. <laughs> you know, I, I that's a thought, but I think I'd become an alcoholic if I went into TV. So okay, I, that's good reason. Yeah, yeah. We've got a number that's been up on the screen, and if you're watching, you've heard a chance today on the show to meet someone who loves what they do and loves helping people. If you've got someone in your life or you know someone who's having some challenges, there's a number on the screen for Odyssey House. Give that number a call. They will talk to you, give you some information, certainly sure. give you Riley's number. Um, and and USARA uh, is located at 21st South and... 180 East. 180 East. Yep. It's in... It's in a brick building where TV specialists is. I, I, I know. I, okay, then you know where it is. You walk into TV specialists <laughs> in our business and realize that you don't make enough money yeah, to exactly. pay for any yeah. of the equipment yeah. we want. And, oh, and yeah. they have really nice offices. And they, you know, and I, I, I've got to say that when you walk into, when you walk into USARA, there's this uplifting attitude, and everybody's friendly, and everybody says welcome and. You know, so if you if you you know if you don't want to do the Odyssey House route or anything else, and you just want to get some information on recovery or to find some people that you'd get along with in a social setting who Definitely. are in recovery, yeah. it's a great place to stop by, and and everybody's welcome. You don't have to make an appointment or anything else. Yeah, well, stop in, grab a cup of coffee, get a. You can look it up also online if you just look up USARA Utah. There'll be a group or a meeting schedule on there. So every day. There's either two or three meetings throughout the week, and they're all different types of meetings. So it's actually, I had never been to most of them when I started working there. So I actually got to start going to them to see kind of what they were about. And there's so many different paths to recovery or groups or ways to go into recovery. Um, 
and you saw our highlights, a lot of them. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, thanks for coming yeah, out. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you, Riley. Yeah, thank you. Good appreciate to see you all this, man. I see him at VOA Detox, too. We, uh, I, ha- I haven't been there lately, but uh, <laughs> uh, we, we take a couple Odyssey clients down once a week to meet with the people down there just to talk about our treatment program and, and you know, what's available. So, yeah. And well, the, the good news is there's so many great people in the state of Utah who are there to help. Yep, definitely. And the first step is give a call. You're not alone if you're a parent, loved one. There are people out there to help, and that call will make you feel a lot better. There are very few calls to make. I got a call from my accountant today, and I didn't feel any better. Yeah, well, I was going to say. I, he goes, why have you never sent me this form before? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. As your accountant, I need to tell you that this is a problem. Yeah. But enough about that. Uh, you know, the, the situation is there Again, great people out there. Pick up the phone and call, and I bet you'll feel better for doing it. Yeah, you can. You can even, you know, do I have a problem? You know, that's a, you know, I asked myself that for forty years, and I kept saying no. But I mean, as know, an but, adjunct, you know, when yeah. you see online that do you have a drinking problem? Yeah, I would take that quiz, and very rarely, I wouldn't be higher than the eighty-fifth percentile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, it was, <laughs> you know, your Well, yeah, to... that applies to everybody else, not me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I got a couple wrong here. Yeah. But anyway, Riley, thank you so yeah, much for welcome. Randall. Thank you. I'm Trip Mitchell. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for watching.